Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Family Caregivers Show on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Susan Bida, the co-founder of eCareDiary.com, and I'm your host for today's show. Today we will talk about assisting families struggling with or struggling against atypical Parkinsonian disorders. To help shed light on this, I'm so pleased to introduce our distinguished guest, Trish Caruana, who is the Vice President of Programs and Education at CurePSP. She's been there for, for the past four years, and uh, CurePSP is an international nonprofit organization that funds research and provides education and support for people suffering from atypical Parkinson's disorders. She's focused on creating enhanced support services for patients and families suffering from these diseases. Uh, She has a master's degree in social work. Uh, Trisha's professional background includes 13 years of experience as a senior clinical manager in the Department of Psychiatry at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. Trish, thank you so much for joining us today. Susan, thank you for having me. So Trish, let's jump right in and and tell us what are atypical Parkinson's diseases? Okay. Well, they are rare neurodegenerative brain diseases, and they uh, fall under the umbrella of, of Parkinson's diseases. So that's how we get the name atypical which essentially means, you know, uh, unusual presentation. Now, I'll talk about the diseases, but I wanted to step back and say that while some of the features overlap with Parkinson's, these diseases uh, tend to look much more like ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. And that's one way that I try to uh, describe them to people who are trying to learn about uh, the diseases and understand what uh, the course is and how difficult they can be for the person who has it in the family. So they, they look a great deal like ALS. Yeah. But essentially, well, cure, Trisha, cure BS, go ahead. I'm sorry, uh, I just wanted to step back too because uh, I think maybe for the benefit of our audience, maybe we should um, maybe describe Parkinson's disease and ALS a little bit so that then we can understand um, how these uh, atypical Uh, Parkinson's diseases work? Mm -hmm. Well, Parkinson's disease is a neurodegenerative disease as well, and it affects um, uh, multiple systems in the body. It's it's a brain disease, and it's actually uh, much more prevalent than a typical Parkinson's. I would have to take a a quick look here to give you those statistics about about prevalence. But um, Parkinson's disease has been studied for many years, and there are medications that have been developed to help manage the symptoms, although there is no cure for the disease. So Parkinson's is considered a movement disorder and typically has symptoms uh, such as uh, difficulty with balance, um, difficulty with speaking, 
many folks uh, develop tremors and uh, that makes their communication uh, even more difficult. Problems with swallowing, problems with, with memory loss, uh, difficulty at, at certain points being able to manage their activities of daily living. It's a very, it can be a very long and progressive disease. But as I say, there are some medications that can help. So in that respect, um, it's more, Parkinson's disease is much more common than the diseases that we work with, which um, I'll tell you the names of in a minute. And, uh, but some of these symptoms will look very similar. Um, and in fact, many people are diagnosed with Parkinson's disease who will be later to be found to have a, an atypical Parkinson's. So ALS has, uh, it has a different, um, uh, I would say, physiological process happening in the brain. However, uh, the symptoms of ALS also look like atypical Parkinson's. And by that, um, in ALS, uh, there is no medical treatment, so people uh, you know, can't get any symptomatic relief and there is no cure. They have become uh, very debilitated in terms of mobility and eventually uh, will not be able to uh, be uh, mobile on their own, will require you know, a wheelchair, will become bed bound. They have significant problems with being able to speak and being able to swallow. And in, in that sense, a, a person with, with ALS becomes, um, you know, the disease is very aggressive and they're people will essentially succumb to these symptoms, succumb to problems with pneumonia that are a result of problems with swallowing. And so in that sense, ALS uh, does look more like the diseases that, that we explore, um, although the mechanism in the brain is different. So I didn't mean to be all that worried about it. Let's just say that par Parkinson's uh, has um, a similarity to the diseases we deal with as does ALS, but what's going on the brain, on in the brain is, is very different. Symptoms look similar, but the brain process is different, and that matters when it comes to research and finding a cure. So now what, what are these atypical, part, I guess uh, they're atypical Parkinson's, Parkinson's or atypical diseases? So what, are there names for these now? Yes, yes. The most prevalent of the three diseases that we represent is PSP, and that's the abbreviation for progressive supranuclear palsy. The mm -hmm. second disease that we focus on is CBD, which, is, uh, which stands for corticobasal degeneration. And the third disease is MSA, or multiple system atrophy. All of these diseases, uh, again, are considered very rare forms of Parkinson's, and they, uh, I'll put TSP and CBD into a, to the same category. Uh, they, the primary symptoms are problems with balance, and the problems with balance tend to be a bit different than Parkinson's in that people uh, usually are falling uh, backwards or, or backwards and sideways, whereas in a typical presentation for Parkinson's, people fall forward. Right. The other thing is that with PSP, people develop significant problems with their eyesight. 
and they lose the ability to have normal vertical vision. So by that I mean if, if you were reading and you got to the end of a line and you were about to go to the next line, it would be, become impossible to do that and move your eyes in that natural vertical way. Um, so that's a, that's a signature symptom of PSP. And the other symptoms include problems with, with speech, having garbled speech, eventually having very faint speech, and uh, unfortunately, the symptom of having difficulty swallowing, where uh, liquids and food can get into the lungs, and people then have to wrestle with aspiration pneumonia. And over time, uh, most people uh, actually pass from having not being able to to uh, improve from the, the, the bouts of pneumonia. So while it's a terminal disease, people don't actually die of PSP. They, they die of complications of PSP. Uh, <clears throat> CBD is very similar. There are a couple of symptoms that are different. They're, um, they're very, you know, they're very, I should say, uh, not, not easy to describe to a lay public because uh, it's, it's more about the, the expertise of the neurologist who's seeing someone that, who can distinguish between the two. Um, in fact, the, any of these diagnoses are never truly confirmed until um, autopsy, if someone were to donate brain tissue after death. We have no, we have no blood test, we have no diagnostic test, no scan that will confirm the diagnosis, but based on symptoms. The CBD does have a few characteristics that are a bit different. Um, more dementia, if I, if I didn't mention that in PSP, there, there certainly can be dementia. CBD tends to have a bit more dementia, and um, sometimes a phenomenon called alien limb syndrome, where a person with this disease will, will have sort of an automatic movement of an arm, let's say, and not be aware and, and, and feel disconnected from, from that limb. It's a very, very odd symptom. Uh, not everyone has it who has CBD, but it, it can happen. And then, so PSP and CBD have a lot of overlap, and they are tauopathies, which means that the normal protein in our brain that we create called tau uh, overproduces, it gets very sticky, uh, becomes misfolded, and then kind of lands in the sections of our brain that affect our movement and our speech and our eyesight and our swallowing. So, so that's one category. And then MSA is multiple system atrophy. Um, and that is a um, alpha-synuclein disease. So it's a different kind of protein in the brain. Um, and symptoms of MSA, uh, MSA tends to, people with this disease have the balance and the speech problems and the swallowing problems, but they also have problems with their blood pressure. Uh, meaning that they become orthostatic. So if they go from sitting to standing, they often feel faint. Um, they they um, frequently have problems with their, with their intestinal tract, with their GI system. That leads to uh, problems with um, incontinence uh, and constipation. And those with MSA tend to develop the symptoms earlier in life. 
um, I would say in the in the you know somewhere in the in the 40s, mid 40s to 50s. There's certainly people who are outliers, but it, it tends to be a you know a younger onset where PSP and CBD tend to to hit folks in their in their 60s, um, early 60s, uh, by and large, and uh, so so that's a difference. Yes, Trish, thank you very much for outlining the, the individual diseases, and I'm, I'm very um, very happy that you've been able to outline them so clearly because we might have audience members who are listening to, sh- to this show and not sure exactly what is going on with a loved one who might potentially have one of these um, uh, symptoms of these diseases that you're describing. Uh, my next question is, is about diagnosis. So what, what is the uh, typical way that these atypical Parkinson's diseases are, are diagnosed? Essentially, they're diagnosed by clinical exam. So the physician seeing the person would, would need to be able to uh, you know, evaluate their balance, of, you know, look at the symptoms of, of their eye movements, look at any speech problems, look at the history of, you know, when symptoms have developed, how long they've been going on. Uh, the answer is, is a very vague one because there is no definitive test. And it often takes years for the disease to develop uh, enough that, there's a consideration that perhaps this is some sort of rare disease. As I said earlier, the, the symptoms that, that manifest initially often look like Parkinson's. So if, if, if you have balance problems, you, um, you would go to a neurologist typically and he or she might say, concern this is Parkinson's, and you would be tried on medications used for Parkinson's. If, if he did not respond to those medications, which are known to help people with Parkinson's, it, that would be a red flag as to uh, what else might be going on for you in terms of the ultimate diagnosis. So it's a clinical exam. Uh, certainly people uh, often get PET scans and, and MRI scans, and there are some factors that, that can be seen on PET scan. They are not they're indicators, they're not definitive markers of the disease. And the, the further complication to diagnosing this is because it's a very rare disease, uh, it would need to be something that the physician has some awareness of, uh, has studied, has been able to you know, even um, you know, have in mind as, as they're looking at the, at the patient. So there are many factors that make it hard to be diagnosed. One is that it takes a while for the symptoms to manifest. Two is that our diagnostic system goes from most likely to least likely. And then three, we have physicians who are um, you know, not knowledgeable about the disease because, frankly, it's a very rare one. Right. Now, um but but they are uh, these uh, you've discussed three specific uh, atypical de- diseases and uh, I, I imagine because they've been identified, are there specific uh, treatments or medications for them? The only kind of help at this point we can offer people with PSP, CBD, or MSA is symptom management. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you know that may be from a medication. Uh, recommendation. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if someone is having problems with, um, 
you know, one common symptom with PSP is that, that people have problems with rigidity. So they, they typically have um, a contortion of their neck muscles, which can thrust their head backward. It's a very uncomfortable um, position to be in, of course, and that affects their ability to see and to eat and to walk because of vision. So there may be a medication um, treatment that could perhaps reduce some of that tension, or maybe Botox could, you know, would be suggested to help reduce the tension. So it would be specific to the symptom. The other thing we can recommend outside of symptom management would be the allied health care rehabilitation services. By that I mean physical therapy uh, you know, plays an important role in being able to uh, assess someone's strength and, and, and coordination and helping them to, to be able to be as independent as long as they can. Um, PT as well as occupational therapy can offer great suggestions about how to accommodate to, this, to the symptoms, how to remain um, able to be independent but with certain adaptive um, equipment or techniques. And then the third rehab specialist that, that really help people uh, are the speech and language pathologists. And they're looking at swallowing, which is a terrible symptom of these diseases, which ultimately can lead, lead to death because of aspiration pneumonia. So the uh, speech and language pathologist is looking at swallowing studies and looking at how um, to recommend perhaps uh, dietary changes as the disease progresses to, to only include foods that, that have a certain texture or, have a, um, or are right. a certain type to reduce you know, choking. And they also look at communication. So because communication becomes more and more difficult, people are not able to speak or be understood, uh, speech and language therapists can, can uh, train people on different kinds of um, maybe using different technology to communicate through computer programs or even something that would be very simple um, to help them ex you know, express their needs when they're no longer able to speak them. So PTOT and speech are critical. Great. Thank you for that. Um, I imagine in your role uh, providing support and education uh, to people or families uh, caring for people suffering from these diseases, uh, do, you, do you often encounter that uh, they've been misdiagnosed? Is that, is that a problem you've encountered? Yes. I would say, if I had to, just anecdotally, that 98% of the people who contact us have had other diagnoses. So. It is hard to make the diagnosis, and like I say, you have to be knowledgeable. By the time you know, someone ha has received this diagnosis, often it's been years that they have been seeing different specialists and trying to um, you know, discover what's going on and what can be done. So as a patient and as a family, it's a very frustrating road, and I think it tends to lead to some significant mistrust of the healthcare community. You know, we go to practitioners hoping that they'll have the answer. And when we can't find the answer uh, with those physicians, it, it's very disappointing, it's very frustrating. And uh, by the time a person has been dealing with this for some years, I think, you know, there's, uh, there's an implication that they will, they will have 
um, you know, a more difficult time with the adjustment, uh, you know, really being able to trust the help that is out there. So yes, people are misdiagnosed. People have multiple diagnoses before they get to to these diagnoses, and um, you know, that's it's, incredible. It's really Ninety-eight percent is is really incredible. So uh, it's a it's a big number. Um, and Trish, thank you very much for um, sharing this uh, with our audience. And and for those of you who are joining us, uh, this is. Uh, I am interviewing Trish Caruana, who is the Vice President of Programs and Education at Pure PSP. Uh, this is a, an organization that provides education and support for people suffering from atypical Parkinson's disorders. And Trish has uh, kindly taken us through uh, the three, I think, most common forms, which are, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken, PSP, CBD, and the last one being... MSA. The MSA, yes. Yep. Um, you got it. So tell us about your organization and, and um, I guess, the type of uh, support and education that you provide, I guess, uh, family members who are, are beginning to encounter that their loved one has one of these uh, diseases. Mm-hmm. I just want to say one thing about the, the sure. prevalence, if I didn't say this out loud, when I say rare disease, when, when we're talking about PSP, we believe that about five people per 100,000 have PSP in this country, and so that amounts to about 20,000 people. So okay. um, th- that will give you a perspective. So in terms of helping patients and families, our organization really focuses on education, and we have many online uh, materials that help people who are you know, first learning about this disease because they've been diagnosed or people who are going through the disease. And by that, I would say one significant thing that we offer is support. We offer support groups, both face-to-face and online, for people who have the disease and for, for family members who are caring for someone or caring you know, together with, with someone around the symptoms of the disease. So we do have face-to-face support groups. We do have online because it's a rare disease. So we do not have groups in every, every state, every city, by any, by any stretch of the imagination. But you can phone into an online support group and really get the benefit of, of talking with others, um, learning from one another. And that's where I think it's a critical uh, point for families. As it's obvious with, with patients that they, they do need to understand and it's you know, their disease that they're dealing with. But families often feel extremely isolated. They you know, often, uh, it's the first time that they meet someone else whose loved one has, has a rare disease like this. It's the first time um, when they attend a support group or when they go to an online support group. So when, when I think of what well, we do, our goal is to reduce the isolation and to make sure that people are getting the correct information about understanding what the disease is, where the research is, the kinds of treatments that they can have, the rehabilitation kinds of treatments. And I'd like uh, to share with the audience yeah. that your your website is curepsp.org, and I'm so mm-hmm. you know very glad to hear Trish that there is not only um, online support but that people can also call in for support. Is that correct? 
yes, is there a, that's uh, correct. a phone number that you can make available? Or can sure. You the phone yes. Yes. Uh, people can call from the United States uh, to our organization at 1-800-457-4777. Again, it's 800-457-4777. Or if they're calling from Canada, they can call 866-457-4777. And we will be happy to talk with, with anyone with questions about the disease, whether they, have, they themselves have been diagnosed or this diagnosis is being considered or they're a family member. We, um, we spend a great deal of time actually talking to people. That's the essential, critical part of our mission. We are a nonprofit. You know, our only goal is to help people and help the research find a cure. So they can call, they can email us. Our website, um, I guess the, the most generic uh, way for them to contact us, which we'll actually get to a real person, is if they use the um, email address of info, I-N-F-O, at curepsp.org. And if they do that, uh, they may have a specific question. We're happy to call them or email them. I did want to say with support, in addition to face-to-face -face support groups and online support groups, we have what we call peer supporters. And they are family members who have gone through this process with their loved one and unfortunately have lost their loved one to the disease. So if someone is new and uh, wants to talk with another family member about the journey, things that they should kind of, you know, they're reeling from these, these feelings and these thoughts and these worries and, and trying to anticipate what they need to do, you know, to, be, to make a plan of, you know, the best care possible. We can connect people. And we have people in every state, I'm pretty sure in every state, who volunteer to take a phone call, to make a phone call, to email. And, you know, we do that. The list is posted on our website and, uh, you know, someone could just make that contact uh, directly or I'm happy to be, uh, happy to introduce people who, you know, That's one of our great. support, peer supporters, whatever makes, makes the person comfortable. Great. Trish, you know, this is uh, great to hear because uh, we often say on our website because we're, we, we are a website for family caregivers that oftentimes it's great to find uh, someone who's been through the same disease process uh, that you're going through with your loved ones. So that is uh, wonderful that you've um, made an effort to find family members who've been through this uh, before to help others that are beginning uh, to discover the or have just recently been diagnosed. So um, thank you for sharing that, and uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, being on our show today and, and sharing, uh, you know, information about your organization, Cure PSP. Uh, our audience members, um, the website again is curepsp.org, and uh, this is an organization that provides educational support education and support services for those suffering from atypical Parkinson's disorders. Thank you so much, Trish. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Um, now I'd like to thank our audience as well for tuning in, and I invite you to join us next Tuesday on May 27th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard, Standard Time for our online radio show 
show called Caregivers Speak, which is hosted by eCare Diaries caregiving expert Marjorie Papps. She will interview Gay Hanna, who is the Executive Director of the National Center for Creative Aging. And she's going to be joined by the caregiver panel about using the medium of arts to engage with loved ones and create long-lasting memories. To learn more about eCare Diary and our upcoming shows, visit eCareDiary.com under the content section. Uh, We invite you to register with us, which is absolutely free and gives you immediate access to your personal care diary tool. You can also find us on all the social media pages, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, we, our Twitter address is uh, eCare underscore diary. Thank you so much again. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over the limit by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.